Welcome to 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name is Adam, and while I start the 20-minute timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 12. And with 20 minutes on the clock, God's people at the end of the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, God's people found themselves in the land of Egypt. There was a great famine and God made a way of deliverance and brought them down to the land of Egypt. And while they were there, God blessed the land of Egypt because of their presence and they were able to live and not just survive, but to thrive. They lived separate from the main part of Egyptian society. God brought them there for their deliverance, but he also brought them there because of mercy and grace. You see, the promised land, the land of Canaan, was full of wicked people. The Canaanites, the Parasites, the Jebusites, the Amalekites, Hittites, and many others. They were idolatrous people. They were murderous, warring people. They were child-abusing, child-sacrificing, child-murdering people. And God was giving them time to repent. God told Abraham, I'm going to take your descendants out of this land for a time until it is time for the judgment of of these people. God was giving them time to change their ways, time to turn around, and they didn't. How much time has God given you? How much time has God given me? But the time has come. Now, about halfway through the 400 or so years that God's people were in Egypt, they were enslaved. A new pharaoh, king of Egypt, rose to power who did not know of Abraham, who did not know of Joseph, Abraham's great-grandson, who had been part of God's blessing and deliverance to the people of Egypt. He did not fear God. And he enslaved God's people. And God raised up a deliverer named Moses. And Moses, along with his brother Aaron, went before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and said those famous words, Let my people go. Pharaoh wouldn't. He said, Who is this God that I should listen to him? Who is Yahweh? Who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And he wouldn't do it. So God sent plagues and judgments to shake Pharaoh's attention, to shake him awake. And he still refused to let God's people go. Until finally, God said through Moses to Pharaoh, this is it. And every firstborn child, from the greatest to the least, from the son of the Pharaoh, to the firstborn of the smallest sheep died 
the angel of death passed through the land of Egypt. And in one night, every firstborn son was killed. We talked about that in last week's episode, so I will leave it there. But that is where we are at. It is time for the deliverance of God's people. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. God is telling them to start a brand new calendar. Now, starting a new calendar is no small thing. But what God is saying is that the dividing line between where you have been and where you are now is so radical that start counting everything from this moment. I don't know the exact day when I became a Christian, and I don't know that you need to know an exact day. But I know the year. I know that I was four years old, and I sincerely prayed that God would forgive my sins, that Jesus would come into my heart, he would be the Lord of my life, that I could go to heaven, that I could be one of God's children. I know the day when I was baptized with water. I know the day when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know moments, key moments, where God has radically changed my life. And in many ways, I count my life as before and after. It's almost like there's a new calendar for my life. And in the same way, I think that there is a question. You may not know the exact day you were saved. I know, I know people who it's like one day they wake up and they go, I think I have faith in Jesus. And everybody is around them going, yeah, I think you do too. And, and, and then there are people who it's a very clear, this is the moment where I gave my life to Christ. But I do think there should be a question. Is the break between here and there noticeable? Is there a difference? Or am I just a person that goes to church? Am I just a person who uh, joined a, a Christian club? Or is there a clear point where I became a follower of Jesus Christ? Is there a clear point where God's work of victory in my life can be seen? I think that's a fair question to ask. Verse 3 says, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people who are there. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. This is a very interesting thing. In the Old Covenant system of sacrifices, there was provision in the law for people who were too poor to sacrifice a lamb, a sheep, or a goat, that they could offer other things. We know that Jesus' family was in poverty because when Jesus was presented on the eighth day at the temple to be dedicated before God, and Jesus' parents offered sacrifices of worship and praise to God, they did not offer a lamb or a goat. They offered two birds. 
which was what a poor person could afford in those days. Jesus grew up in poverty, at least for some portion of his life. But in this sacrifice, this Passover sacrifice, instead of saying, we will make a provision for poor people to sacrifice something else, God said, no, make sure that those who have enough share with those who lack. There is no other sacrifice. Only the lamb will do. Only the lamb will do. There is no other sacrifice that can take away the sins of women and men. There is no other sacrifice that can pay the justice, the judgment that our sins deserved. Only the sacrifice of Jesus is enough. And we had nothing. We were spiritually destitute and and in poverty. And Jesus shared with us all of the riches of God's kingdom through his death and resurrection. There is a, a beautiful picture here. The responsibility is on the person who has enough. If you have enough, you are to look for those, a widow, a young couple, a a poor family, who doesn't have enough that I might share with them the blessings that God has given me. I believe that is how the church is to be. That we who have been blessed are to look for people that we can be generous in blessing. That's a beautiful picture there. Now, in verse 5, the animals you choose must be a year old male without defect. You may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community must slaughter them at twilight. So on the 10th day of the month, they are to take this sacrificial lamb and then they are to separate it from the herd, take care of it, you know, have it live with them, essentially. And then on the 14th day, all of the sacrifices must be made together at twilight at the same time. Then, verse 7, you are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the top of the door frames where they eat the lamb. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs, bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled, but roasted over a fire with the head and the legs and the internal organs. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some of it is left until morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked in your belts and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now, many have seen a picture of Christ in this passage. It's understandable. Jesus was sacrificed at Passover. He is our sacrificial lamb. Many have seen the blood placed on the doorposts as forming a cross. The Bible's not explicit about that, so I don't care if if that's not a view you take. I personally see the symbolism. It's interesting, apparently, there, there are some who say that the way that the lamb would have been roasted in, in what's being described here over open flame, that what you do is you actually run um, a skewer 
through the, the body of the lamb and also through the sides that would have spread out the forelegs of the lamb in a way that looks like a crucifixion. Again, could that be intentional? Why not? I believe God's operating so far above our level that there are probably all kinds of things that we just don't even notice um, that God has, has placed in the redemption story. The things that we are clear about is this. They weren't to eat it raw. God's law is full of food safety. And if you were a primitive agrarian society, you would have no idea about these things. In fact, many occultic practices apparently involved a certain type of boiling the meat or eating meat raw, which of course leads to all kinds of health and public health issues. If you, if you followed God's law in those days without hand sanitizer, without uh, understanding of bloodborne pathogens and viral mutations and even what a virus was, the chances of succumbing to things like plague, typhus, cholera, influenza were vastly reduced than if you lived as the rest did. But what I think really is, is the main point is if you boil versus roasting, there is a better flavor. God is painting a picture what Jesus did was both bitter and sweet. The freedom, the grace, the deliverance that we have known is sweet. But the way that it was accomplished, the suffering of our Lord is bitter. The bread was to be made without yeast. Now, there was two reasons for this. The first is explained where he says, this is how you are to eat it, verse 11, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Bread without yeast can be made quickly. It doesn't need to proof. It doesn't need to rise. This is bread that you make while traveling. And God is telling them, you don't live here anymore. You are leaving. And I believe there is a sense in which that is how God wants us to view this world. We are just passing through. I don't want to put roots down too deep because this is not my home. We don't look for the human city, the human culture, the human society. Our hope is not in America. Our hope is a kingdom that is not made with human hands, whose builder and maker is God. The other reason I believe that the bread is without yeast is because in the Bible, constantly, yeast is a picture of sin. And Jesus' sacrifice, he took the bread and he broke it and he passed it and he said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. And it was this Passover meal that Jesus and his disciples ate in that last supper without yeast. And there is no sin in Christ. His body was broken, and he deserved none of it. Now, when different cultures have read, he took the bread and he broke it, and he passed it around, and then they've done communion in their culture, if they didn't have an understanding 
of this concept, what do they do? They just eat whatever their bread is. So I do not begrudge churches or Christians who have that big heaping hunk loaf of bread and they break that big piece of bread. It looks great. It's a great visual image. And I have taken communion with leavened bread and I have felt no shame or regret. But the reason that at Faith on Hill we take the unleavened bread and unleavened bread could be a lot of things, matzah cracker, soda cracker, a tortilla. I've done communion with tortillas before. It's, it's very accurate. But the reason that we do it is because we embrace this symbol that Jesus is our perfect, spotless sacrifice. There was no sin in him. He is perfection. Again, we don't begrudge other churches. That's just what we see as the uh, model and the, the picture. I think there is a, a sense in which we have gotten comfortable. We've taken our sandals off. We don't have our staffs in our hand. We aren't ready to go. The Bible speaks of sacrifice. Earlier in this passage, it says in verse uh, 5, the animal you choose must be a year-old male without defect. The idea is that they were to take the lamb for the sacrifice, and they weren't to take the runt of the litter. They weren't to take the one with the gimpy leg, the one with weird spot, spotted markings, the, the whatever it is. They weren't to do that. They were to take the best. God gave us the absolute best when he gave us Jesus. We have nothing to compare to what God has given us. We have nothing, even a fraction of what God has given us to give back to him. Yet from what we have, God wants our best. I believe that the biggest challenge for American Christians right now is not in the giving of money, although that's up there. I believe that the biggest challenge for American Christians right now is giving the best of our schedule. If you were to plan out your day or your week or your year, if you were to put your season together, the fall, you know, we're in the summer now, the fall is coming, how do I structure my, my calendar? Am I giving God my best? Or is, I mean, I, mean, I know right now we're in, in lockdown, so a lot of things are canceled, but let's say it's a normal time and I've now scheduled, well, I have... Um, my kids' sports leagues, and then they have a select league, and then I have golf, and then we have spin class, and then we have this, and you start to put your schedule together, and you have nothing left to give to the Lord. There's no, there's no place left to say, God, how can I serve you? How is it that you want me to serve? Instead of saying, God, this is my schedule, how do you want me to serve you? And I put that in, and then I say, do I have time for golf, because there's nothing wrong with golf. Do I have time for spin class? There's nothing wrong with those things. But where is the priority? Are we giving God the sacrifice of our best, or are we giving God the sacrifice of whatever is left over? I think that that is the challenge for us to find giving God our best. The last thing I want to point out is this nothing was to be left over. 
if there was any anything left over, they were to burn it in the fire the next morning. They weren't to take leftovers from this. I believe that this shows that Jesus' work on the cross was once and for all, and we have no need for any other sacrifice because Jesus paid it all and it is paid in full. I want to say thank you for joining us again for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are released every Thursday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or at faithonhill.com. If you have any questions about anything that's been said, any question about the Christian faith, you can email me, adam, at faithonhill.com. God bless you, and we'll see you again for another 20-minute Bible study.